Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Across the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com, on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitch, and of course on podcasts available wherever you find great podcasts, including uh, iTunes and Spotify. And across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. It is... The Michael Duke Show. Good morning, and good morning, good morning to you. It's the it's the movie trailer morning voice. I got the deep voice this morning. Some days it just works out like that. Uh, good morning, and welcome to the program. Thanks for coming in. Uh, wet and rainy. That pretty much just you know this this. I was just talking with Terry uh, yesterday, and I'm just like this has been just kind of a hell of a summer. You know, it was scorching hot without an ounce of rain for the first 45 days of summer, and then it hasn't stopped raining since. <laughs> I mean, it's just like it couldn't make up his mind. And according to folks in the chat room, a little frost in the interior this morning. Uh, in several places. Uh, so I don't know. I was, you know, I had my fingers crossed for that Indian summer thing that uh, <clears throat> maybe, just maybe, we'd get a little bit of, uh, you know, maybe we'd just get a little bit of that Indian summer, a little bit of that last minute S- September heat that has come out occasionally. But uh, I'm losing a little hope on that because it is uh, wet. It is wet. And uh, and cool, but uh, I guess that's just life is tough in the tundra, as they like to say. So we're gonna we'll have to deal with it, and uh, we'll move on. Um, this morning on the program, we've got a uh, we got a good show lined up for you. Uh, starting with uh, this morning in hour one, we're going to uh, uh, we're going to uh, dive into some of these headlines. There's some there's some big headlines that have been going around here uh, the last uh, day or so. And we're going to touch a little bit on those, including who has who ha- has uh, <clears throat> pulled out of the race. We didn't have the information yesterday, uh, but today we've got it. Who has pulled out of the race? Who is uh, who who is uh, left it? And uh, how many people are going to be left to to be facing some head to heads? I think because a lot of people <clears throat> that the the election um, for Congress really surprised a lot. I mean, myself included. I mean, I'll be the first one to say that I thought that this was going to be. Uh, I mean, I thought Sarah Palin was going to uh, was going to probably take it in the long run, and I was just as shocked as anybody to see the breakout of the baggage voters. Uh, basically, turn the turn the things around and and give it on over to. Uh, Mary Peltola. So, um, this is going to be interesting. This is going to be very, very interesting. 
uh, to see where this all goes. But we're going to talk about those. We're also going to discuss the uh, this new complaint <clears throat> against the governor and um, whether it is much ado about nothing uh, or whether it's a new way of running a campaign whether it's just sour grapes, I, I don't know. Um, there are some interesting comparatives here that make me kind of scratch my head, but we'll have to see what happens here. We'll talk a bit about that as as well. Uh, but finally, uh, I will let you know that our guest today coming up in Hour 2 is going to be Tuckerman Babcock, who's running for state senate down there in... Um, well, it used to be Senate District, <clears throat> used to be Senate District O, but uh, now I believe that it's going to be uh, uh, Senate District D. So that should be an interesting discussion. And then, on top of that, we're going to uh, talk here in hour one with Kevin McCabe, who uh, is my representative uh, here in what was House District Eight, and now is going to be. House District 30. So, are you ready? Are you are you ready to dive into all this and uh, talk about all these things? I uh, I think I am as well. So, <clears throat> let's start off with um I guess we'll start off with um with the complaint because this is an interesting you know, this is an interesting thing. Now, we've talked about how on the program Lately, it's been, um, I guess, surprising to many of us that Governor Dunleavy has been, well, awfully quiet. And uh, I wouldn't say, um, I wouldn't say arrogant, but I guess I would say confident that he just he just doesn't seem like he has to worry too much about uh, anything so far in the race. He's done very little campaigning. Um, he has, you know, it doesn't seem like there's been a whole lot. I've seen a few, uh, web ads. Uh, I've seen a, a few, you know, bits and pieces here or there, but nothing like I've seen from the, uh, from anybody else in the race. And of course he had a significant lead, uh, in the, uh, in the primary, uh, coming into it, which again, Primary doesn't mean anything other than it was kind of a bellwether of where things are going in the future. But this new complaint that was filed yesterday to APOC accuses the governor uh, of engaging in, quote, a scheme to subsidize and coordinate, unquote, the activities between his official campaign and an independent expenditure group working on his reelection. And that's scheming to, quote, improperly subsidize his campaign with public resources. Now, this is being reported right now in the ADN by Iris Samuels. You can find it over there at ADN.com. The complaint says that Dunleavy's campaign spent a, quote, laughable sum on staffing while key positions were filled on a volunteer basis by people paid tens of thousands of dollars in publicly funded no-bid contracts with direct and illegal contact between staff in the governor's office and the governor's re-election campaign and an independent expenditure group supporting Dunleavy. The complaint was filed by Scott Kendall. I mean, Scott, can, can you just, I mean, here's the first thing. Anytime I see this, 
it, it immediately becomes suspicious for me. Anytime I see the name Scott Kendall, because there's a guy that doesn't want to do anything except it seems from the outside looking in, who seems not to want to do anything except for promote Bill Walker and Lisa Murkowski and run everybody else into the ground. Scott Kendall, of course, you will remember, uh, is not only a former Walker um, uh, attorney general, but also has worked in Lisa Murkowski and was the figurehead and the driver behind not only ballot measure number two, but also of the recall Dunleavy campaign. So Scott's, I mean, he is, he is, I mean, he's an attorney, but it just seems like he's a full-time political operative in the background this whole time. Now, that being said, like I said, anytime I see something like that, I, I, you know, immediately the hackles in the back of my neck go up and I'm like, whoa, 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 what is this guy doing? But then I look at some of the numbers that are being thrown around here. And at the same time, I start to ask myself the question of, okay, how does that work? According to the complaint, Dunleavy's campaign expenses on staff would be low for a state legislative race. In a statewide gubernatorial race for the incumbent, it's laughable. Based on uh, campaign finance reports cited in the complaint, Dunleavy paid staff uh, $6,200 leading up to the primary period, beginning in February and ending on July the 15th. In contrast, Bill Walker had spent nearly 30 times what Dunleavy had spent, about $180,000 during the same time. Uh, Democratic candidate Lescara had spent eight times what Dunleavy had spent, about $50,000. And at first you might say, okay, well, that's great. They're the, they're the, maybe they'll just pad in their pockets. They're hiring their friends. Maybe they're using campaign. You know what? But as a comparative, in the equivalent reporting period leading up to the 2018 gubernatorial election, Dunleavy spent about what Garris spent, $50,000 on staffing. And now he's spending $6,200, which, I mean, I know Scott Kendall's behind it, but you got to start asking questions like, what? Dunleavy's campaign manager is Jordan Schilling, who worked for Dunleavy in an official capacity beginning in December of 2018 and still spring of 22. When he was awarded a no-bid contract with the governor's office that pays him up to $50,000 in public funds to provide strategic planning about renewable energy in the Department of Motor Vehicles. At the same time, he runs Dunleavy's campaign as a volunteer. That contract runs through this month. Brett Huber, who worked as Dunleavy's gubernatorial campaign manager ahead of his 2018 election and <clears throat> excuse me, was later a senior advisor to the governor, was awarded a no-bid contract in April to work through the governor through October of 2022, capped at $50,000, to consult on legal matters relating to, quote-unquote, statehood defense. Days later, Huber was hired to manage an independent expenditure group supporting Dunleavy's re-election, according to the APOC complaint. His consulting firm was paid $80,500, Huber was listed as deputy campaign treasurer for Dunleavy's 2022 official re-election campaign until the end of May, briefly overlapping in work for both the official campaign and the independent expenditure group. Coordination between candidates and IEs is illegal, by the way, and people can only work for an independent expenditure group following a mandatory 
120-day cooling off period, which is a six-month period. So there's a lot of questions. <clears throat> there's a lot of questions in this. And, and again, I'm immediately skeptical simply because Scott Kendall is part of this whole thing. But there are, they are raising some interesting questions here. I mean, just the comparative from one month of, I mean, from one year to the three years, four years later, and the fact that he spent eight times in 20, now you could say, well, he's just being smart, but they're, I mean, these no bid contracts and everything else. Oof. Now on the other side, the people who are doing all this, uh, include the 907 initiative director, Aubrey Weber, who used to write for the ADN. I mean, she's not. And then very DeSouvero who's the executive director of AKPIRG, uh, which is the, oh, what the hell is AKPIRG? Anyway, they, you've, you recognize the name. They are the Alaska Public Interest Research Group. Um, and they, uh, you've seen the name around. Anyway, this is a who's who of the pro-Walker-Guerra anti-Dunleavy crowd. So again, I'm taking everything that's going on with a grain of salt, but they are raising some interesting questions. I would be lying if I said I wasn't intrigued about what's going on. Now, on top of that, the Alaska Public Research Group, you know what I mean, is going to file an executive branch ethics complaint on top of the APOC report, they said. Um, But the complaint, um, if it's submitted during an election cycle, it can either be dismissed or taken up after the election. The APOC one, though, um, can work right now. Anyway, this whole thing is going to be super, super interesting to watch to see what's going on. Um, All these no-bid contracts and people working for the campaign, like Andrew Jensen, who, I mean, I really like the guy, but he works for the governor full-time at $100,000 a year, $90,000, $100,000 a year while also serving as a camp a campaign spokesman in his spare time. And I just, I don't know how that works. I, I just don't know how that works when you're, this is supposed to be a full-time gig. I mean, running for re-election, you should have a separate staff. And historically, people have had a separate staff to do with this. But um, I don't know. I guess we'll, I guess we'll see how it all works out. But I, I think they're asking Regardless of the fact of how much I dislike the people asking the questions, I think they are asking some interesting questions based on the facts that have come up. But we'll see. We'll see what the response is. There's really been almost no response to any of this so far uh, and a lot of no comments coming out of it. But um, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see what, what comes out of this. So we'll be watching it. Um, hey, guess what? We're up against the break, and Kevin McCabe is going to be joining us in just a hot minute, I suppose. I suppose I should probably send him the link so that he can join us this morning. (laughs) All right, let's do that. Uh, All right, coming up, Kevin McCabe, The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. 
Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay. Uh, good morning, my friends. How are you this morning? You guys all ready to uh, rock and roll this morning? Too many rain clouds to enjoy the recent auroras, said Michael. Good morning, good morning, good morning. We don't move dirt anymore, said Craig, just mud. Yep. Frost is good for moose hunting. Uh, you always have a good show. Quit trying to suck up to me. Um, just kidding. Uh, imagine the anguish of the guy or gal doing all the SPPP compliance, which is this, that's the waste, that's this, the wastewater, it's the, anyway, it's the people who put the big straw mattings around all the drains and everything else on the sides of the roads. Stormwater prevention yeah, man. Um, let's see. Do nothing. Dunleavy is hiding in his basement like Biden. Get Walker on the show. No sound, says Karen. Everybody else is hearing me f- just fine. Scott Kendall needs to run out of the state. He's trying to destroy Alaska. I mean, you know, again, I don't like the messenger, but I'm interested to hear what the message is because that's some interesting stuff. Uh, progressive weaponizing the courts and government office. Think about a little campaigning we all have noticed that Dunleavy has done this year. Um, good morning, good morning, good morning. Um, good morning, good morning. Charlie Pierce, ED, rank the red. Uh, Matsu was able to get the Dominion machines removed and back to a hand count, says Karen. Thank you for letting us know about that. I knew that that was coming up last night in the uh, thing, but I had not uh, I had not heard what the outcome of that had been. Okay. Um, let's see. Dunleavy will be in Homer today, Land's End, at uh, 1.30 this afternoon. All right. Good enough. Watch the Palin press release. Painful and embarrassing. Are you talking about the one from Labor Day? I heard it was kind of uh, painful to watch, but uh, I wasn't sure. Um, Okay. Um, Looks like we've got uh, Kevin McCabe. And I believe he is joining us this morning. Good morning, my friend. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Ooh, you got real muffly for a second, and now you're okay. Um, yeah, there yeah, you go. It's this head headset thing. Oh, there you go. Now you're good. Just don't just don't tip your head down. That's all you can do. You just got to keep <laughs> your head in one spot. Don't move. What? No, you're fine. You're <laughs> fine. Um, you all ready to go this morning? Sure. What What are your thoughts? Just brief. I mean, we'll get. To, I guess we should get to wait till we get to the radio. But like I said, I mean, I dislike the messenger in this thing, but it, they are asking some interesting questions. Which, I mean, you know, maybe it's just an atypical campaign. But I mean, this is a campaign that's got a lot of money that has just hasn't done anything with it. And like I said, he hasn't really done moved. It's kind of a stealth campaign. Um, it does raise some interesting questions. Maybe we should start off with that this morning just to get your t- your take on it before we jump into other stuff. I know we don't want to run anybody down, but I mean, I think the question is right there on the table. We at least have to consider it um, and, and talk about it a little bit. 
Sure. I, well, like I said in the chat, I think we've all noticed that uh, the governor hasn't been campaigning too much. You know, from my perspective, I'm a candidate as well, and I've had a few candidate questions uh, for some of the governor's staff. You know, what's the governor's position on this and that and that sort of thing, and uh, they they just won't answer me during uh, during business hours. Yeah. Um, you know, so. Um, and, and they're actually very careful, especially uh, uh, Todd and uh, Dave Steer, and they're they're very careful not. Uh oh, they're ones. So oh, did it go away? It just went away for a hot second. Yep, now we're back now. Okay. Yeah, sorry. No problem. Um, all right. Well, we'll uh, we'll continue here in just a moment. Uh, we're going to uh, jump back into this. Uh, hold the line, Kevin. We'll be right back to you here. The Michael Duke Show. Continues your home for common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Please like and share, like and follow. Let's uh, get this going on. Here we go. All right, welcome back to the program. It is the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Uh, diving into it now uh, with uh, my representative, Kevin McCabe. It used to be House District 8. Now it's uh, House District, uh, now it's House District 30. I have, to, I have to check every time just to make sure that I don't step in it here. Uh, Kevin McCabe joins us this morning, and uh, we, uh, we dive into this here. Uh, good morning, Kevin. How are you? Uh, how are you doing this morning? What's uh, what's happening with you? Well, like everybody in the valley, I'm pretty tired of the rain. But other than that, I'm great. Yeah, no, it is. Uh, I mean, yesterday I got a brief dose of sunshine when I got home last night, about five thirty or six. I I walked up and went, "Wow, what a nice end to the day!" And this morning. The dogs didn't even want to go out. It was so wet and rainy this morning <laughs> as I got up right. to uh, get things going on. Um, all right. Well, Kevin, uh, I guess we were just talking during the break here. We were just uh, talking a little bit here about um, this complaint uh, from the governor. And um, whatever's going on, it's unusual. Because, again, historically, by this time, a governor's reelection campaign is in full swing. They have a full-time staff. Things are going on. I mean, even back in 2018, Dunleavy had, you know, had spent 50,000, 60,000 bucks on, on staff, and now he's spent a tenth of that. And we've all noticed that his campaign has been in, I mean, we said stealth campaigning, um, but he's not responding. I mean, I don't know exactly what's happening, but you said that you've even had some experience in trying to get some information from the campaign and governor's positions and stuff. Give us your take on, on this, you know, setting aside the fact that the, 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 the sponsors or the, the people who've instigated this are not our favorite people. Give me your thoughts on what's going on right now. Well, I think that the, uh, the progressives or those of us that are lined or those that are lined up against us have learned how to weaponize the bureaucracy against us, whether it be the judiciary or APOC or, uh, or the borough assessor's office. Um, they are trying to inveigle us, if you will, and get us focused and get everybody else focused on what they think is our bad behavior and keep people away from our positions and frankly, keep people away from uh, positions that Governor Walker had or or may have had, or uh, Representative Guerra may have or have had, 
um, keep us away from focusing on those. And this seems to be uh, the new paradigm, if you will. Um, if you think uh, I was at the AOGA conference and I watched the debate between Walker and Guerra and, and Governor Dunleavy, and, and frankly, I didn't like anything I heard coming from Walker or Guerra, and I think that they know it, and they're trying to keep us focused on other uh, parts of it. Do we need to be transparent? Absolutely. Um, but I think, as I said during the break, we, all of us on this program especially, have noticed that the governor has a very has not campaigned very much and hasn't spent very much money. So um, I'm not so sure that there's a fire behind this smoke that Scott Kendall's trying to blow up everyone's skirt, but um, we certainly need to be transparent. But well, I will 60 some 60 some days left. It's shifting our focus away from the real issues of, of governance. Right. I mean, I will say that there is not been a whole lot of discussion on policy in the governor's race. There's been a lot of grenades lobbed um, from, I mean, Walker has really been kind of on the forefront of that, lobbing a lot of grenades. Guerra has not, not been doing that quite so much, but, um, you know, there has not been a lot of policy discussions. And there's been a lot of false stuff that has been kind of thrown around from the Walker side of things too, you know, accusatory things. Um, and maybe that's the answer is that there is no policy decisions that can be discussed because they know they would be unpopular. Um, and, uh, and, and maybe that's it. Uh, but I mean, I guess I do have some questions, I guess, I guess is the bottom line on that. Uh, but overall this race has been, you know, th this whole election cycle has been so weird because of uh, ranked choice voting and the jungle primary and everything else. It really has fundamentally changed how we are doing business as usual in the, I mean, how, how business is usually conducted, I guess, during a traditional election cycle. Would you, I mean, you've been through one or two of these. Would you agree? Sure. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, uh, APOC is designed to make the governor's race very transparent. And I think that Scott Kendall and, uh, and ACPERG, um, they're reaching, they're, they're um, similar to the lawsuits and the assessor's office and all that lined up against me they see something that they think might be an issue and uh, rather than investigating it they're weaponizing the bureaucracy against us and um you know apoc it, all of the governor's stuff should be very transparent and i will tell you that the folks in the governor's office that i deal with are very very sure not to do any campaigning on state time. And in fact, my staff is the same way. If my staff uh, attends a campaign event, she takes a leave. Uh, and, and it's very, you can look at her leave record and say, hey, um, you know, this, this person, this staffer took leave on this day. And oh, that's the day that she attended a campaign event. So the governor's the same way. I think that one of the people in his office actually quit her job so that she could work on the governor's campaign as a volunteer. Um, so I don't think that there's necessarily anything there, but, and, and I think that, uh, we will be able to find that out, uh, in APOC at some point, but bringing this up right now has obvious political overtones. Well, that, yeah. Anything connected with Scott Kendall, you know, that there's, I mean, right. the first thing you know is that there's political ramifications to it. And obviously it's being done to either benefit Lisa Murkowski or Bill Walker or Scott Kendall. We know that those are those are the three people that are going to benefit from anything that goes on there. Um, let's talk for a minute about um, 
you know, some of the things that are going on with you. You just mentioned it, uh, kind of this ad hom. You know, and supr- here's the thing. This is what kills me. You're talking about weaponizing the bureaucracy, the ethics, and ironically, that really started back with Sarah Palin. Remember, Sarah Palin was the one that was being hit with sure. an ethics complaint. I mean, every week, Andy McDowell had filed some kind of new ethics complaint week after week after week. And I think the Palins, they had run up a per- – because they had to defend it personally. They'd already run up a $60,000, I think, at one point um, – um, you know, legal bill trying to defend themselves against all these spurious ethics complaints. And it was the first time that I, in my lifetime that I'd ever see the true weaponization of this kind of thing against somebody. So this is not new. This is just a refinement of that at this point. Right. You know, and it's the frustrating thing is uh, Governor Palin at the time, her husband Todd was driving for Team Arctic Cat and she wore a Team Articat coat in support of him at a function, and th- that Andrea McLeod, Andrea or Andrea McLeod, um, you know, filed the ethics complaint for the governor supporting uh, endorsing, a yeah, endorsing yeah. a business, or yeah, basically that she was getting paid to go out there as governor right. wearing an Articat jacket. I mean, it, again, they were just again spurious uh, arguments, and and it, it's just you know. It's crazy stuff, but we're seeing that again and again. And if they can weaponize it and if they can keep, I I mean, I I agree with what you're saying. If we can keep the talking points away from actual points of policy, then they're happy about that. If all they can, you know, it's brand new ADN ADN the other day mentioned a a new coat or, or maybe it was landfill or somebody mentioned a new coat that the governor was wearing. You know, he has those Copper River Valley, uh, sort of the native theme with the totem poles or the fish on the, uh, and, and somebody mentioned a new jacket that he's wearing, or if he wore a North Face or a Columbia jacket with the logo on there, are we going to get sued now for that? I mean, we've gone past the sublime and into the ridiculous, I think. Yeah, no, I mean, ironically, the picture of Scott Kendall that they put in this uh, article has him wearing one of the same Copper River uh, vests and the same, you know, everybody's wearing them these days. They're ubiquitous. You know, any politician who's up there is wearing one of those vests to show how Alaskan they are. Um, It's ironic. But um, all right. Well, Kevin, I want to talk for a minute here, though, about what you just mentioned. Uh, You're facing some of the same things. You've had the attacks on the right to life. You've had the attacks on the gun rights. And now... You've had, uh, you know, now you're seeing this attack from, you were saying, the assessors. You came on yesterday with a comment of, hey, I'm here, whatever, tax dodge. Uh, give us some background. What's going on with this? What are I mean, somebody's trying to make hay now over something else. What's going on? Yeah, so it, at some point there was a, uh, a gentleman who used to be the publisher of the Frontiersman. His name is Mark Kelsey, and uh, he's retired and apparently has nothing else to do, but he, he has a history of going after, in fact, he's gone after Tuckerman before, uh, when Tuckerman was in the Valley. He has a history of um, getting on Facebook and trying to put his views on your page and and convince everybody what, a, I think he's called me a moron and a blowhard and all those sorts of things, and sort of doing the same thing, directing everybody away from my policies and my issues and, and what I would like to accomplish and focusing them on uh, me defending myself. So at some point I ignored him and during budget week, it got so bad. He was, uh, he was on my staffer's personal Facebook page trying to comment on her page about me. 
And finally, uh, I only had one staffer this session, so I we had to uh, we had to focus on the budget. I just told them to block her. And uh, June first, I got a lawsuit notice from a company called the Northern Justice Project, which is a group of lawyers in Anchorage. They're the ones that are suing Laura Reinbold. They're the ones that sued Peter Machicki. So we've gone from ambulance chasing lawyers to Facebook chasing lawyers now, I guess. Right. And uh, so they sued me for for uh, violating his First Amendment rights. And uh, that's slowly working its way through the courts. And yeah, it's going to be expensive. I think Laura told me she was up to $75,000. And I'm not indemnified by the, um, by the legislator. legislature. I have to defend that myself. So I have to spend any money I might have made as a legislator last year or the year before on, on lawyer's fees. And, you know, the significant, significant thing is, is Kelsey never filed an ethics complaint. He never even bothered calling my office and saying, Hey, what are you doing? Um, I'm going to sue you. He never sent a letter or anything else. I just get a, um, you know, notice of this lawsuit. So, uh, it's, it is kind of frustrating and it certainly takes the focus away from what we're supposed to be doing, which is, um, you know, essentially governing and, and uh, helping out uh, in in state government. Right. Or, talk, uh, you know, in state government. Talk, so. Talking about, like you said, the issues and other things. I mean, that's the, you know, that's the important part at this point. Uh, Kevin, McCa- right. Kevin McCabe is our guest, uh, GOP state representative for District 8, now District 30, uh, where he's running for re-election. We're going to continue to talk with him here in just a moment, uh, but we are up against the break, so we're going to continue here in just a second. Please make sure, if you'd like, you can come out and join us on Facebook uh, and on uh, YouTube and pretty much everywhere else. You want to find us, you can go to michaellukeshow.com to find all the links to all the sites that we're doing. Uh, We'll be back with more Kevin McCabe right after this. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Luke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Your mental suppository. The Michael Duke Show. Okay, uh, we're back. Kevin McCabe, uh, our guest here on this. I can actually hear the rain hitting your roof. Uh, it's uh, it's <laughs> it's almost soothing. If I almost put me to sleep here this morning with a nice, it's a good night's sleep when that comes down to it. Um, so, I mean, you know, I think that's the sign that you know that you have arrived, Kevin, when people really start attacking you. You know what I mean? Uh, I remember when I was running for borough assembly, my opponent actually put out a, a, a mailer uh, that had, uh, you know, all these had like four points uh, on the mailer that, you know, he didn't, he believed in, I think it was gun control and this and that and the other thing. And his fourth reason was that I'm not Michael Dukes. And all I could think of was he just put my name in front of every one of his voters and did all that. And I'm like, I'm, apparently I have arrived because now you know that when you stick your head above the crowd, you catch the tomatoes. This, I mean, I guess that's the the positive side of this is that this is when we know that we are uh, that we're doing something, right? And it's sort of free advertising, if if you will. Um, that's uh, I I don't know. I I kind of look at all the negative posts that show up on. I've put I've boosted a few Facebook ads for events that Mike Shower and I have had together, and I look at a a few of the uh, 
the replies on there and and I'm like, oh, well, thank you for replying. You're keeping my post, my boosted post on top of everybody's feed because you're right. replying to it. So, so I appreciate the, uh, I appreciate the, uh, attention if not the endorsement you know right so. exactly well it's the it's the old saying that uh what is it that uh, any any press is good press i mean whether it's good or bad right. any any press is good press at that point um all right, right we are going to come back into this here what's your you know what is your um you know we're only eight weeks nine weeks away from the election uh i know it's hard to believe uh being that it's still summer supposedly but here we are right i mean we're after labor day we're we're coming down to it what's your what's your plan here as you go forward i mean how are you going to be attack how are you going to be attacking this how are you going to be dealing with this as you go forward uh i don't want you to give away any trade secrets but you know what direction are you going here well we're we're going to be doing many events and i'm going to try to hit all the community councils i was at uh Talkeetna last night and I talked to those folks up there about some of the issues that they have with gravel pits and local water and that sort of stuff. In fact, I, I managed to drag representative Delana Johnson with me. She has a cabin up there. So we went to the community council meeting and of course my opponent was there, which was good. We both get a chance to talk and to explain our positions to the community council who will then uh, hopefully uh, carry our message out to the folks that they know up there. So I'm going to try to do all of those. I'll be focused on Healy and Willow. Uh, I didn't do so well. I didn't do as well as I thought I was going to do in both of those places. And so we've been up to Healy once. We're obviously going to have to go up there again. Had a couple of events um, at the Aurora or had an event at the Aurora Hotel and then attended the Blueberry Festival. So doing a lot of stuff like that. Eventually in some of the neighborhoods, especially in Big Lake and Willow, where I can, I will be uh, knocking doors and doing lit drops and that sort of thing. Probably have some you know, coffee with Kevin uh, kind of things on certain days when, when folks can show up and just, you know, ask questions and frankly, try to get away from all the uh, sort of external stuff and focus on my message, uh, which is, uh, you know, small conservative government fiscal policy working group, which I really appreciate that you bring up. You and Brad talk about a lot. And I really appreciate that because we spent a lot of time doing that Carpenter and Shower and myself and Shelly Hughes and um, you know, Mike Prox was an alternate on there as well. And, uh, and we, we did, I thought we did really good work uh, with our leadership. We actually found, we found some common ground. Of course, as soon as the leadership got a hold of it, the leadership of the house and the Senate, it was put on the shelf. And, um, I just think that it's got some good, uh, good stuff in it. It's got compromises. It's got callers. It's got controls. It's got a path forward and, um, if we could focus on that and focus on that as a message instead of, hey, Kevin's getting sued or or Kevin's getting uh, gun rights going after him or whatever, I, I would prefer to sort of put that behind me and focus on my message. Right. Focus on the fact that I'm here to work for the well, people. And, and that comes to the point of where, I mean, this is now this is going to be your, you know, it's going to be in your court that you're just basically going to have to ignore all that. And basically say, I've addressed those concerns before. Let me tell you about my policy. Let me tell you about my – I mean, that's really what it comes down to at this point. We have to ignore and override. I do that on the program all the time with comments and everything right. else. If there's stuff people want to have their say, fine. I'm not going to address 
ad hominems. I'm not going to address that. We're just going to try and put the facts out there as much as we can, ask the questions that I think are relevant, and we'll go from there. That's I mean, that's what you have to do. So it's right. It's definitely going to be an interesting. Uh, <clears throat> it's going to be an interesting eight weeks. Let's put it that way. Uh, here as we go forward. All right, thirty seconds out now. Kevin McCabe is our guest. Uh, the Michael Duke Show continues. Uh, we've got more. Coming up, uh, please uh, make sure that you like and share this video. If you haven't gone over to uh, if you haven't gone over to YouTube yet and if subscribed and rang the bell over there, might I suggest that you do so? I'm still looking to try and get a thousand uh, a thousand subscribers over there. So we'll do our things. Here we go. Jump it back in. All right, we're continuing now on the broadcast uh, for hour one. Our guest is Kevin McCabe, who is a GOP state rep for District, it was District 8, now it's District 30. He's running for re-election. We've been talking about the campaign and some of the differences in what we would see in, I guess, historically what we would call a normal campaign, now with the new ranked choice voting and everything else. But I want to talk a little bit about policy now. Uh, and because I think uh, I agree with Kevin that a lot of these things that we're seeing in the news media are basically distractions away from what should be important, which is what are the policies of each candidate? What are you supporting? Um, you know, PFDs and state budgets and size and scopes and PERS and TERS and all these issues that I guess seem to get lost in the um, in the the clickbaity uh, you know headlines that that are being uh, thrown around right now. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about that. Now, uh, Kevin, during the break, you just mentioned one of my favorite topics, which is the Fiscal Policy Working Group, uh, which is, uh, you know, a group of legislators that got together last summer uh, from both sides, both the most conservative and what we would consider to be some of the most liberal legislators got together and they pulled together a plan uh, that was holistic, meaning it hit every aspect of it. And they put together a group of proposals to say, here are your options. Um, their, one, their one thing that they did say was, you can't take any of these in isolation. That was kind of the consensus. It was a unanimous consensus is that you have to deal with all of these at once. You can't just pick and choose because that will never work. You have to take all of them at once. You guys did a lot of work. Both sides came together. Both the both super liberal, super conservative, everything in between came together and you guys put a plan out there and then it was immediately thrown in the trash can or shelved or whatever, however you want to put it. But that is still a plan forward. Right. I mean, give us some background here. Well, you know, one of the things that uh, that I that was I, I don't know how you put it, but I was very honored as a freshman. Uh, who doesn't really have much financial background other than, you know, I mean, I have an MBA, but I haven't used it in years, but I was honored to be on that uh, with Ben Carpenter and some of the heavy hitters. And, uh, and so I worked, we all worked, we all worked very hard. And I think uh, one of the pivotal moments for me came when uh, Jonathan Christ Tompkins, who's very liberal, and he was sort of the ad hoc leader that we allowed to uh, you know, run the group, so to speak, because you always have to have somebody that can do the uh, focus and in the, in the background and the in the history and putting everything together. But he came to me 
had a very hard conversation. He said, Kevin, if you think that the that this whole group is going to pivot on your opinion of a full PFD, you really need to think again. We need to get somewhere with the with a compromise and and you're the hang up, frankly, Kevin, with the full PFD. And you know, so I called some of the big leg folks and I said, what would it take for me to get off of my full PFD position? And and we talked a little bit and they're not happy. They're not happy with me because um I I kind of agreed with the governor, hey, maybe we should find a compromise in this with the with the POMV and the 50-50. And, and so I did get off of that position briefly until leadership completely shelved the fiscal policy working group. And then I'm like, well, we said it had to be holistic. And if you're going to shelve this, then I'm going to go right back to my full PFD. Sarah Vance did the same thing. Carpenter did the same thing. And we, we are all full PFD people. Um, but we're willing to talk. We're willing to compromise. But when the compromise happens and then they say, well, we were just kidding. Well, then, <laughs> you know, then well, you have to go back to your position. That's the thing. I mean, you're both in the end zones, right? And you're like, uh, okay, we uh, we wanted the full PFD, and they're like, no, no, no. And you're like, okay, well, we'll meet you on the 50-yard line. And they're like, okay, great. We'll see you at the 25. I mean, that's, yeah, right. you know, I mean, that that's the, that's the idea of compromise. And that's not how compromise is supposed to work. Now, the fiscal policy working group plan can, it's on the shelf, but it can be picked up and dusted off and be used as a roadmap or a blueprint or at least a starting point for those discussions. You just have to have leadership that is willing to to use that as a guide, right? I mean, that's this right. is not this is not wasted effort if somebody comes back to it and we find more elected officials who are willing to to take it up as a as a as a blueprint, right? And, you know, frankly, uh, Ben Carpenter is one of the most astute finance guys that I've ever met. And, uh, you know, I rely on him for lots of explanation to me of the things that uh, that are going on with the finances. We, we talk all the time about that. And I would love to see him resurrect that and sort of shepherd it through, especially the constitutional spending cap and, and all the pieces of that that we talked about that we put together. Uh, would be amazing if we could push that through. Um, that would be sort of the opus of 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 a career, if you will. You talk about the uh, you talk about the permanent fund dividend and how you came off of your position. Many of you did. I mean, some you know, Mike Shower and others came forward and basically say, even Louise Stutes came forward and said, if there's a fifty fifty, then we can get behind it and we can you know we can get take this off the table, you know, because it's sucking all the oxygen in the room up. But obviously, as we just mentioned, when the compromise happened, their idea of compromise and your idea of compromise are two different things. And so everybody's back to a full PFD. You would have supported that. You saw Shower's amendment came through. Um, and of course, you supported that, but we just couldn't get enough. But moving forward, that is still your position, right? You want a full PFD and folks have got to be able to get out there and uh, and get it done. Uh, that's That's where you're going, right? Absolutely. We need to follow the law. And and I get that there's two laws on the books and SB 26 sort of drove the PFD towards a, a retirement endowment fund, which it really isn't. Now, that's where the 5% POMV comes from, frankly, is retirement funds. The fund managers will tell you that 5% is kind of the sustainable going forward. If you don't take any more than 5%, the fund, even in a down market, will be able to sustain itself. But the the PFD is not a retirement fund. It's not an endowment. Right. It's a dividend fund. Right. And it needs to be treated differently. So 
if we're if we're not going to follow either law, and we're not following either law even right now, then we need to change the law. So right. when I compromised, if you will, I talked to the people in Big Lake and I said, if I compromise, what will it take? And the answer was the people want to have a vote on it. So I thought, right. huh. So we can compromise, and at the end of the day, if the people don't like my compromise, they're going to vote against it. And that was a big piece of it, of why I could do that. Well, and the other side, what I would say would be the more bigger government, anti-PFD side, they are terrified of the potential of the public voting on this issue. Uh, it's been said many times, they don't want the public to vote on it. They know better than us how to do it, so they want they any idea that the public may have a say in this is immediately submarine. And that's, I think that's part of the problem. That's why there's been such a push for the CONCON, because people want to have a say in what's going on. Um, you know, size and scope of government. We've seen the government just, we've seen the size and scope of it just explode under the Dunleavy administration. A lot of that has to do, of course, with COVID monies and everything else. And But at the same time, there's no excuse uh, with the amount of oil and everything else we had. It's all been more pro-government, pro-bigger government uh, versus less government. And I think that's really the divide that we see now. It's not necessarily left and right, Democrat and Republican. It is smaller government versus bigger government, pro-PFD versus anti-PFD. Am I right? Absolutely. Um, and it, you know, the, the Democrat and Republican monikers, if you will, are sort of becoming uh, unimportant anymore. It's, are you, a, are you a big government person or are you a small government person? So a true conservative is a small government person and believes that the smaller the government, the more the liberty. In fact, when we signed my license plate bill into law, Governor Dunleavy said it under his breath. He said, with his signature, Alaskans gained a little bit more liberty. And he's exactly right. We need to take those steps that we can uh, to remove regulations and restrictions on the people. I, the Food Security Task Force, uh, one of the things that my office did is we filed a bill that we were going to put through. And as soon as the DEC got a hold of it, they were in my office three times a week for a couple weeks because they didn't like it. They didn't like the fact. And all it was was a bill to change the regulation that prevents a farmer from selling more than $25,000 of his produce directly to uh, to the public. And I wanted to double it to make it 50000 And the DEC it's a regulation. It doesn't really need a bill. They could change it if they wanted to. And you'd have thought I'd have thrown a, a you know, cut the wasp nest down and thrown it in their office. They were so upset with it. Right. What's, what's the point? I mean, right. And frankly, the governor and his commissioner went through and they removed all restrictions. So now the governor and it's behind the scenes and nobody sees it. And it's a little bit kind of nebulous. People don't really understand it, but he removed a regulation that was impacting our farmers and our food security and their ability to sell to the public. And I think those kinds of things we need to focus on. We need to get rid of those right. bureaucratic regulations that are impacting our well, day-to-day lives. it affected their power. That's why they were upset. It affected, it was a regulation that they had decided, not the legislature. And that's really the legislature's right. place. I mean, the legislature and the Congress have abdicated their responsibilities to bureaucracies for years. The first time you try and take it back, ooh, they don't like that for sure. Kevin, about 90 seconds here. I want to give you the floor for your final thoughts here as we go forward. Any meet and greets or anything you're doing, and then uh, your final pitch to the people. Go. Well, we're, we're taking a little bit of a break for a week or so. My wife uh, went to Springfield, Missouri, to the Mike Lindell thing last week, and we've been pretty much running 
for two or three weeks and so we're going to take a break although i have to repair a bunch of signs there were a bunch of signs trashed out there at gorilla fireworks mine and everybody else's they were all cut up and driven over and that sort of stuff so i have to do some sign work and i'll be putting out more signs and uh, certainly attending uh, a lot of uh, any function i can whether it be some of the breakfasts that i go to with the the retired old men eating out they're called romeos um when we <laughs> so I do some of that and uh making phone calls uh, doing radio shows that sort of thing so that'll be the next couple of weeks and then we're going to hit it hard uh the end of september for for a month and mailers and and that sort of thing so well, it's good to hear from you. Thank you for coming on board and sharing with us. As always, I appreciate your time, uh, and I, I you got my support. I like what you're doing for me and my family, and, uh, and thank you, Kevin. I appreciate it. Thanks, Michael. Vote KevinMcCabe.org. All right, folks, we got more coming up. The Michael Duke Show, Hour 2, dead ahead. All right, Kevin, you know the drill. Final bite at the apple here. I got you two minutes. I'm, you know, I'm always up against the break, so... But, uh, you know, final thoughts. I mean, let me just, uh, I'll preface by saying this. I mean, we need more smaller government conservatives. We need, well, not, not just even conservatives, smaller government people. In, in And I guess maybe we shouldn't frame it in the liberal uh, conservative debate or the Democrat, because that's really what it is. We need more pro-PFD, smaller government representatives in there. Because that's really the battle when it's all said and done. It's not labels. It's not party. It's not anything else. It is, do you believe in giving people more freedom and less or less freedom? Do you believe government should be the answer to everything or should people should find it for themselves? So your, your, final, your final thoughts here. No, I absolutely agree. Small government and, uh, is more, more liberty. And, and, you know, when we're talking about ranked choice voting and the election integrity and all that sort of thing, the Republicans started out saying rank the red. Maybe that's wrong. Maybe there's independents and nonpartisan and undeclared and libertarians out there that they don't really care about the red. What they want to do is rank the conservative small government person. Of course, that doesn't make for a very good soundbite, but uh, you know that's what we need to focus on. Is in my opinion, is is my number one pick a small government, a conservative fiscal conservative guy who's in favor of the same things I want. Is my number two pick close to that? Maybe not as good as the number one pick. And you've seen me type it in here. You know, a vote is not a Valentine. It's a chess move. And we need to stop with the emotional, stop with the, oh, I'm never going to vote for that witch or I'm never going to vote for this guy because of his last name or, or whatever. And we need to look at their positions. We need to talk to them. I'm surprised at the number of people who... Uh, send an email or send a put a thing on Facebook about what they know about my position, and they've never called me or talked to me. Uh, my cell phone is 907-229-3721. It's been the same for 20 years, and you can call me, and I will absolutely answer the phone. If I can't, I'll get back to you, and, and we can have a talk. And everybody that's talked to me said, wow, I didn't realize that that you were a Second Amendment person, and I'm, I'm like, absolutely. I'm, you know, I, my creds are way better than half of those that are attacking me as far as Second Amendment's concerned. You know, pro, pro-life the same same way. I believe that life begins at conception, and I, I believe that since before the ninth grade, before ninth grade biology that confirmed my belief. So, um, you know, may, maybe making a phone call to the candidates is is getting back to the most important thing is actually talking instead of 
keyboard warrioring, if you will. Right. Well, I mean, that's the keyboard warrioring is easy, though. I mean, throwing, yeah. lobbing the bombs in the Facebook uh, comments or in the chat or, or wherever, that's easy. You know, actually actually dealing with it and, and coming up with solutions and actually working working with people, that's the difficult part, you know. Right. Uh, we've seen that time and time and time again. Well, uh, good luck to you, my friend. Uh, we hope that uh, we hope that you uh, uh, continue on and uh, we'll probably check in with you here a couple more weeks to see where you're at and see if there's anything new. Uh, simply because I want to make sure the people that I know are smaller government people are the ones that win. So we're going to try and bring uh, bring as many of those folks on as we can. So Kevin McCabe, thank you so much, my friend. It's good to hear from you. We will uh, talk with you again uh, soon. Thank you, sir. I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, Enjoy pre- the rain. Uh, I appreciate that. Thanks for coming on board. Um, all right, right, uh, Kevin McCabe, our guest here on the Michael Duke show. And I see that in the green room right now, we've got, uh, Tuckerman Babcock, uh, uh, who's going to be, uh, joining us here in just a hot second. I think that he's on there right now. Let's double check with the video and audio to make sure we're all good. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm fine. Good morning. All right. Let me, uh, I'm going to edit your, uh, I'm going to edit your microphone level here just a little bit because you are strong and proud this morning. Um, all right. You like coffee. You got your coffee. Yeah, you got your coffee. You're all good. To, you're all good to go. Although apparently you need a six o'clock club coffee mug because you uh, you were up at six o'clock. You were on online here just a, ahead of that. So, um, all right. So you all ready to go, sir? I'm ready. Okay, good. Well, we're going to dive into this here in just a uh, in just a second. Then I'll put you back into the green room, and uh, you can uh, you can hang out uh, for just a second as we get things ready to go along. Folks, uh, do me a favor. Um, I depend on you to help me out. If you enjoy the show, uh, if you find the show entertaining, informative, enlightening, however you want to do it. I would love to. Uh, I'd love to have your support. So there's a couple ways you can do it. You can share the show. No matter which platform you're watching on, you can share it. Okay. So just find the share button and share it with your friends. The second way you can do it is you can like and follow the Facebook page, um, which will make sure that you get notifications each morning. Uh, but most importantly, right now, what I've been driving for uh, is trying to get a thousand subscribers on Facebook. Uh, excuse me, on YouTube, 1,000 subscribers on YouTube. I have several thousand on Facebook, but I'm trying to get them to go over to YouTube and to like and subscribe and ring the bell on YouTube. So if you haven't done that yet, would you go over there and do that? Would you go over to YouTube and just put my name in there and search up the channel and uh, <clears throat> and uh, and subscribe and then ring the bell to get notifications? You can come right back to Facebook. If you prefer the Facebook uh, one, you can do that. In fact, I'm going to drop the link in the chat rooms right now for uh, the YouTube channel. If you just go over there and hit subscribe and ring the bell, you can come right back here to Facebook if you prefer that instead. Or you can stay on YouTube or you can go out on Twitch. But I'm like, I'm trying to get that many subscribers. So it's a, it's a mechanical thing. I mean, you all know what's going on. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to, trying to, to, Get all the things going on. So there you go. Um, but if you're over there, thank you. And if you've done that already, thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right. Well, we're coming up onto it. Hour two is right now. So let's get things going on. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free thinking radio.
Whoa, buddy, put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. That's right, across the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com, where you'll find the audio-only live stream, all the links to all the different channels, including YouTube and Facebook and Twitch, etc. And, of course, links to the podcast and all that. Plus, on regular old terrestrial radio around the state of Alaska on your favorite radio station and or translator. That's what we do. That's how we roll it. It is The Michael Duke Show. It's hump day, middle of the week. We can see Firearms Friday from here. It's not that far away. We're kind of excited about that. Meanwhile, we're going to continue on our discussions of a statewide nature. We just finished up with uh, re- uh, with uh, Representative Kevin McCabe from House District 8, now uh, House District 30, and we're about to uh, we're about to jump into it with Tuckerman Babcock, who is a candidate for state senate down on the peninsula in what was Senate District O and is now Senate District D. I know we got to keep up with all these changes every 10 years. I just, I got to complain about it, but man, if you just quit changing the districts, I could figure out which one is which, but that's okay. We're going to jump into it and we're going to get things started. Uh, it's going to be, we're only eight weeks away from the general election folks, eight weeks away. And so we've got to, you know, we're going to focus on this. This is what the next eight weeks are going to be. We're trying to get as many candidates in uh, as we can, and uh, we'll keep going. Now, Mike Shower normally appears on Wednesday. He couldn't appear today. I wanted to throw that out there. It wasn't I, – I scheduled somebody else because he let me know late yesterday that he couldn't do it. Tuckerman was kind enough to come on on short notice and be part of it, and so we welcome him uh, to the program this morning. Good morning, sir. How are, uh, how are, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing just fine. Good morning. Good, good. Well, let's uh, let's get things started here, and uh, um, it just we it's been a while since you and I talked, so I thought first and foremost we'd just get an update on the campaign and figure out, you know, where you've been, how things been going, what's what's happening out there on the trail. Give us the give us the rundown. Well, it's great running for office in the hometown of Soldatna, Kenai, and Nikiski, Sterling, and all the way down to Bear Creek, and over on the Eastern Peninsula. But what I love about it is going out to eat, going shopping at the grocery store, stopping at the gas station. Everybody's a constituent. So we're always meeting, talking, engaging with people in all, not only all walks of life, but all moments of life. Even at home, then, of course, people either come by or call on the phone. It's wonderful. And I love campaigning in our community here. And it's uh, my opponent's not going away. He's busy. Uh, running for the assembly, and he's running for the state senate, and he just voted to uh, put Mike Navarre in as the new mayor to replace Charlie Pierce. 
<laughs> okay. Well, for those of us who are not in the peninsula, what is that? Oh, what is all that spell? Because we may not be, uh, uh, we're not, we don't, may not have our fingers on the pulse of uh, peninsula politics. What's going on? Well, Mike, Mike Navarre, of course, has a lot of experience. He, he was mayor and for two terms before. He's a, one of our prominent local Democrats. Uh, he served in Bill Walker's administration. And to bring him back, he's certainly competent, but to bring him back, he's like the polar opposite of Charlie Pierce. And so it's a strange thing to see when the voters elect Charlie Pierce as mayor, the assembly ignores the voters and picks somebody with a very different philosophy. And then the assembly apparently has scheduled a special election next year. Now we have November coming up around the corner. They could have had the mayor's special, the mayor's election, let the people decide who the mayor should be instead of six, five or six months with a, with a appointed by the assembly mayor. So it's, there's so, this all goes to one of the reasons I'm running in this election about how politics operates. And I've been involved in civic affairs politics a long time, right. like 40 years. Right. But of all the people I help and all the people I encourage to run, I always emphasize, think through what you want to do, what you're really running for, and then do those things. All of the, the subterfuge that goes on in campaigns, when they campaign on one issue or two issues and then work on something totally different or reverse themselves after they're elected, it just undermines our whole system. And it's so detrimental to people's faith in our republic and in our government. And when the assembly pulls a stunt like this and puts in someone of an opposite political philosophy, not that Mike Navarre is not a competent guy, he definitely is competent, but he's a liberal Democrat. And to have him replace Charlie Pierce, that's an affront to the voters. And I'm, I'm very surprised my opponent uh, supported his appointment and uh, brought him back in as mayor, but even more surprised that they're going to wait months and months and months and months to actually let the people elect a mayor. Right. And it's, it makes no sense to me. At well, all. that's surprising to me because generally in borough code, there's usually some stipulations that if something like this happens, that that they quickly want to be have a special election or whatever because they want to, you know, because the will of the people needs to be exercised, essentially. And uh, so it surprises me that there's not some kind of stipulation in borough code that says you have X number of days to get it done um, uh, because, that, you know, although in Anchorage we saw the same thing happen and they kept delaying and delaying and delaying and they left one seat open while one of the assembly members served as mayor pro, ten, uh, pro tem against the city charter. So, I mean, but it, it's interesting. I mean, is there is there is there something in borough code? Are they ignoring borough code here or what's going on? Oh, no, the borough code is does not co allows them the discretion to just appoint someone, not go to the voters for any sort of approval or election of a of a uh, interim mayor. And uh, I guess in some cases, we'd just be happy that they allowed us to have a vote for mayor at all. I mean, it's just the state law does say you're supposed to have a special election and a certain time frame away from the next regular election, but it doesn't say when. Uh, I guess they trust the assembly to make a good decision. I. Uh, it just happened last late last night. Uh, there may be some facts that I'm unaware of, but at this point, I am certainly unhappy. I'm not unhappy that they've temporarily appointed a mayor. They need to do that. But 
it does seem odd that they chose someone of an opposite political philosophy than the man who was elected. Right. And it does seem odd that they are leaving him in the temporary assembly appointed mayor is going to be there for five months. And, you know, you yeah. easily could have scheduled an election in November. At the same time, it's a borough-wide election. All the precincts are the same. It could have just right. the only thing on the ballot. It could have been, we would have had a huge turnout and people would have elected a mayor in November. I don't know why they didn't do that, but that's just an example of what bothers me in politics when uh, people campaign and they don't tell the truth about why they're running, what they believe. And it just is a, so much par for the course in politics. And so for this election, it's all about trust to me. Yeah. And it's a, uh, when I, I listened earlier to your, uh, coverage of Scott Kendall's complaint. And Scott Kendall and Bill Walker are two people who could care less about telling anyone the truth about why they're running and what they hope to accomplish. I think any of Alaskans who remember the, the promises that Bill Walker made in 2014 about why he was running, about how he was a fiscal conservative, about how he was going to protect the permanent fund, about how he was a pro-life candidate, all of them turned out to be false. And the policies that he implemented, like executive order for Medicaid expansion, which is, which is uh, piled on right. hundreds of millions of dollars in expense and led to the PFD coming on, the, vetoing the PFD, the first governor in 35 years to ignore the statute and start us on this long road of the PFD now is whatever is left over after the government has spent every penny they want to spend. And well, that leads me to this general election. And, uh, you know, most candidates, if you want to ask us if we're for good schools or good education, good roads, public safety, balanced budgets, candidates worth their salt are Yes, we're going to work for good roads and good airports and of course good education. It would be suicide so, to say anything else, right? I mean, really, exactly. That's, I mean, that's yeah. So, so when you get to an election, what are some of the differences between the candidates? And fortunately for voters here on the Kenai Peninsula, there are some a couple of very clear differences, and one of those is on the permanent fund. I've spent forty years defending, advocating, writing, speaking out in favor of the full statutory dividend. I even founded Save the Dividend Matsu back in 1998, 99, when the effort was made then to go after the dividend. Right. So I have a long, consistent record in support of the full statutory dividend. My opponent has taken about three different positions just during this campaign. Uh, his latest position is we're going to use, we have to be honest, he says. We have to be honest. We're going to use whatever we need to fund government. And then whatever's left over can go to the dividend. That was just at the uh, Kenai Joint Chamber Forum on uh, August 24th. So there's a clear difference between right. whether the P we should follow the law on the PFD and committed to the PFD. And the PFD is paid for, but it's paid for through the earnings, realized earnings of the permanent fund. It right. doesn't take any tax money. It doesn't take anything away from government. It perpetually funds itself from realized earnings. And- uh Go ahead. Mike. No, I was just going to say before we get too far afield here, because I, I want to go back and I agree with you on, on everything you just said, but I want to go back just a little bit here because I think what we're seeing, and I just mentioned this with Kevin McCabe, 
I don't think that <clears throat> these days I'm finding labels to be less and less useful, meaning like Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative. What I'm seeing more and more is pro-big government and anti-PFD on one hand and pro-private sector and pro-full PFD on the other hand. And what we're seeing is more and more people who are putting the label on putting the elephant on the lapel or whatever else. But at the same time, they're gathering together with others of that crowd that basically are saying, uh, again, leftover PFD, we'll let government spend whatever they want. You know, uh, it's not surprising to me that a Republican is endorsing a Democrat to be part of the, to be the mayor and then take, you know, disallowing the people to be able to have a voice in this for months, because again, they believe that they know better than us, how we should run our lives. I mean, this is the politician's disease. And we see this over and over and over again. You've been part of the Republican party for many years in this state. And I have advocated for the last, at least the last five, years that the biggest problem that we're having in this state with governance has to do with the fact that the party is not doing a good job of holding people accountable to what its platform is supposed to be. Republicans are supposed to be small government, conservatives, most liberty, giving people a choice, getting government out of their lives. And unfortunately, everybody, it seems like half the people who are wearing the elephant on their lapel these days are complete. They find that completely antithetical. Am I wrong? Well, I wish you were wrong because <laughs> the reasons that you outlined about what the Republican Party should stand for, what its candidates should stand for, and be, and why people join the Republican Party is all true. And I was elected chairman of the Republican Party, and it's all one thing to remember: all the Republican Party, except for one part-time clerk, they're all volunteers. So. It appears like there's this big organization in the Republican Party, but it's just volunteers. It's just Alaskans who step forward. I was a volunteer chairman. I paid for all my own travel all around the state. It, it's a volunteer organization. But you're right. Within the Republican Party, there are the same statist corporate big elements, big government elements that try to control not only the Democrat Party, which is a lot easier for them, but the Republican Party, which is harder for them. But one of my predecessors, the infamous Randy Redrick, who was chairman for 10 years, he's fully invested in my opponent. He's donated $1,000. He wants my opponent elected because he's one of those Republicans that wants the big government money funneled to their special interests. Right. Now, they don't want it funneled to corporate cronyism. Corporate the dividend. Yeah, corporate cronyism is what we're talking about there. People who have constituencies that have built an entire business model around government contracts. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Um, uh, quick sum up here. I got about a minute before we got to go to break here. Well, you're, that's along the right, the three big elements out there that the average person is may not be aware of pulling the strings behind the scenes. And I dealt with this when I was party chairman. I dealt with this when I was chief of staff to the governor. But they're the big some big corporations and big the uh, corporate interests that are funded by state projects and federal projects. There are the big unions, not union members. We're talking about the big union leaders. And then, of course, the big government people who just want and believe that government should be telling us what to do, running our lives, can do everything better than we can do. And there's nobody better to run your life than you. And we need to elect people, conservative people, who believe that and are willing to stand up and fight for that. 
Uh, and that's the that's the again the big thing. You can see where the sign, you know, I call them the sign depots. You know, wherever people put a bunch of signs together, and it's ironic. You know, I can see it here in Anchorage or in Wasilla. Wow. I've seen it down on the peninsula where you get a bunch of signs from conservatives, supposedly some Republicans and Democrats together in one big group, and 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 I can see it. This is the pro-government group, and I can go over here and say this is the small this is the small government group or the pro-private sector group. You could see the groupings of signs. You could see who's supporting whom. You know, when you've got somebody who's supposed to be a luminary in the party supporting somebody who's supporting a liberal uh, or a big government guy, as you know, you could see it, and yet. This is why we're frustrated, Tuckerman. I'm, we're going to go to break because I'm, I'm going to get agitated by this. So we're going to go to break and we're going to come back and talk about this. Uh, Tuckerman Babcock is our guest candidate for District um, uh, D. No, R. Sorry, R. That was what it was. Uh, District D. It was District O. There we go. District D. It was District O. Down on the peninsula. We're going to continue here with just, just a few moments with Tuckerman Babcock. The Michael Duke Show continues. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the Internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. All right, we're in the break uh, with Tuckerman. I get so agitated by this. I can't even remember the names of the letters of the districts. That's what's going on. But, I mean, look, Tuckerman, I don't, I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus here. Uh, but I am so frustrated with the party. Um, uh, I'm a libertarian. I've never been a member of the Republican Party. A lot of my family members are and everything else. But I look at it and I go, yes, they're they're volunteers, but they're volunteers who are completely steering away from what the platform of the party is. And at what point does the do the do the, you know, the stalwarts or the adherence to the platform go, wait, we don't want you to volunteer because you're not. You're not fulfilling our ideals, right? This is a club that's like, you know, hey, it's it's a it's a softball club, and then half the members decide, no, we want to play soccer instead. And you're like, no, no, we're a softball club. We're supposed to be playing softball, not soccer. And they're like, well, I'm volunteering, and I think we should do soccer. And it just, I mean, that's kind of what's going on. It is. And when I was chairman for the first time, you often mentioned how the party, even as volunteers, has a role to hold people accountable, and you know, we had we tried to impose at least one rule. Don't when you get elected as a Republican, don't go down to Juno and join the Democrats to put them in charge. Right. And we took on Paul Seaton, Gabrielle Ledoux and Jim Culver. And uh, back in uh, 2016, and we defeat we helped the voters decide to throw Jim Culver out of office. And a couple of years later, Gabrielle Ledoux and Paul Seaton. Now the and Louise Stutes, but the voters chose to keep Louise Stutes and reelect Louise Stutes. And the voters, you know, the party's role is if you join the Democrats in the next election, we might and should try to defeat you because you betrayed the uh, the people you said you were going to represent. But right. if the people in your district reelect you, all right, then this is a republic, and the people have spoken and reelected you. So it's not like it goes goes on forever. 
but in each cycle, so in this cycle, for example, uh, we have Kelly Merrick, who's running for the state Senate. She joined the Democrats. I would not be surprised at all if the Republican Party focused on pointing that out and making sure her district was aware that in, since her last election, she uh, jumped ship and put the Democrats in charge. Now, if she survives the election, she'll have uh, been given another opportunity to serve and see how what she does going forward. Back in 2020, uh, I spoke out when uh, Laddie Shaw was rejected by the state Senate Republicans, right, led right. by Kathy Geisel, yep. for no reason that anyone could see except her own personal bitter enmity. Uh, I spoke out, and I I spoke out against Kathy Geisel. I was dis disappointed in a good friend, John Coghill, for following Kathy Geisel's lead, and both of those. Republicans were defeated in the Republican primary by Republicans who did exercise party discipline, as well as the uh, several other Republicans who had joined the Democrats in the previous two years. Uh, Chuck Kopp, who is now a consultant for my opponent, by the way, as far as I can see, and and which should tell us something about where he's headed. Right, right. And and uh, a good, another good friend of mine, but someone who made a, a poor decision to join the Democrats, Jennifer Johnston, and she was defeated by James Kaufman. And so this, and, and Bart Laban and Steve Thompson were not defeated, but they both went back, spoke to their voters, and pledged never to uh, join the Democrats again. They were reelected, and in fact, they both stayed in the minority and did not join the Democrats. So at least the people across the state know when they vote, they're getting something. And it's a, and it's very difficult when you have, you know, I'm just going to be one of 20 senators. Right. And I will represent the people of the Kenai Peninsula if I'm elected to, and I will do what I say I'm going to do. And I have a very long record that should give people a lot of confidence that when it's all about trust, that they right. believe I'm going to do what I say. Yep. Uh, we're talking with Tuckerman Babcock, uh, and we're about 30 seconds out, Tuckerman, so hold the line for just a second. We're going to get back to you here in just a moment. Folks, uh, do me a favor. Please like and share this video. Like and follow the show page if you haven't already. I'm sure you probably have. Uh, and uh, share. Uh, share the show uh, and ring the bell and subscribe on YouTube, do all that kind of stuff as well. It helps us. It helps us get the word out there. And I would love to have 200 people in this chat room having a conversation. I really would. I think that that would make a lot of sense. Let's get back to it. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. All right, welcome back to the program. We're continuing now. Tuckerman Babcock is our guest, GOP candidate for state senate in District D, which was District O, just for those of you who are trying to keep up at home. Uh, and he is uh, running. That's down on the peninsula. And uh, we've been talking about, uh, I guess, uh, I've been saying my problems with the uh, with the party in general uh, causing a lot of these problems. Um, let's get back to it here quick and uh, talk about some of the policies now. Um, well, I guess before we get into the policies, we should quickly just touch on the differences in this. You know, Tuckerman, you've been around for a long time, 40 years uh, in, in politics. 
at many different levels. Um, this this election season is much different than many others because it's like the primary battles are now playing out in the general. Generally speaking, and Republicans are very good about this, they circle the wagons and shoot each other to death in the primary, and then one of them reigns supreme and they all kumbaya and come out and, uh, and have – but now – it's happening in the general instead, and as we just saw with the congressional race, thing the worm can turn in a bad way. I mean, it can be, it can, the whole thing can can go topsy turvy. So, what are you seeing as a as a political insider for many years? What are you seeing in the differences in how this campaign is being run compared to how these campaigns are being run in compared to previous years? Well, you're bringing up a very good point, and it, we can go back to that same individual, Scott Kendall, who led the charge on this experimental, expensive, and terrible ranked choice nonsense. And there are states, Maine does a ranked choice system, but you know what they do in Maine? They have ranked choice in the primary, so that you have a Republican candidate who is selected through a ranked choice method. You have a Democrat candidate who is selected through a ranked choice method. And you have any independents who want to be on the ballot. And then everybody goes into the general election where they initially were also were all ranked choice. The bizarre scheme that Scott Kendall imposed on Alaska has everybody voting so you, in one election, and they call it a primary. And the top four vote getters all go forward, and then you have a completely different election system where you're supposed to rank one through four or one through five, up to that much, and somehow that's supposed to give us a better result. Of course, we have to wait two weeks to find out who's going to win these elections. Right. And in the governor's race, that's going to be a complete disaster. Right. The governor has to take office December 3rd at noon. We know they're not going to tell us who the governor, the winner is, if no one's clearly at 50%. At 50%, estimating how many ballots are still yet to come in and be counted of question ballots and absentee ballots for two weeks. So you take two weeks after November 8th, just before Thanksgiving, and then 10 days, 12 days, two weeks later, you have to have a governor. There's no time to set up an administration. There's no time. This was another disaster that Scott Kendall apparently didn't see coming. Well, and, and let alone a budget, right? The governor's budget is due out the second week of December. That's right. And so if you haven't even put hardly put together your, your, your uh, administration by that point, how in the heck are you going to in 10 days pull together? You know, I mean, it, it, it really is a disaster. It's a level of incompetence that uh, is par for the course for for Mr. Kendall. And another example is the millions of dollars we wasted on a two-step process for the special election for Congress. We never had to have two steps before. We had one special election to elect a temporary congressman. But no, ranked choice forced us to have two elections millions of dollars later. And what did we find? Up to 20% of the people had their ballots tossed out because they didn't want to participate in this ranking system. And so they're all, Scott Kendall's system, I shouldn't keep using his name for goodness sake, but that this ranked choice system disenfranchises 20% of Nick Begich's voters because they didn't want to vote for a second choice. They wanted to vote for the candidate of their choice. And instead of allowing their vote to continue, this ranked choice system dismisses you as if you never voted unless you play their game. 
And repealing ranked choice is at the top of the agenda for any responsible uh, candidate. And boy, you want to talk about a very clear difference? My opponent on November 1st, 2020 in the Peninsula Clarion wrote a, a powerful article about how wonderful ranked choice voting was going to be. He urged everyone to vote yes on ballot measure two. He said it's going to be the bee's knees, better than sliced bread. We're all going to love it. And then 65% of the Kenai Peninsula said no on ballot measure two. And now during the campaign, he gets up and says, oh, I've, I've switched my position. You can count on me to repeal it. Uh, I've heard the people, they want us to, uh, you know, this all goes back to that. It's all about trust. It wasn't just that he voted for ballot measure two. He wrote an article lauding it, praising it. Right excited about what wonderful things it was going to bring. And now we see the disaster that is ranked choice. Yeah. It, uh, it's obviously, uh, frustrating for many people. And when the stated purpose of the, uh, of the system is to bring more moderates in and, and as we've seen, you know, get more Democrats elected at this point, that's the frustrating part for many of us. And the way it was sold, the fact that it was sold as a way to remove, dark money from the equation, right? I mean, that was, that was, that was the 90% of the messaging was how much they were going to remove dark money. And yet here we are. Yeah, uh, yeah, Scott Kendall lives, basically lives off dark money. You, well, yeah, exactly. You can look at it. And of course it didn't affect the dark money to ballot measures only to candidates, right? So we all know who that <laughs> goes. Um, all right. Well, let's, uh, let's get more into policy and talk a little bit about this. Um, obviously you just said you've been a proponent of a full statutory PFT for, uh, you know, going on 35, 40 years. Um, it really hadn't been an issue up until Bill Walker's time when it was vetoed for the first time um, because it was the political third rail. Nobody thought anybody would have the hoopsba to even touch it because we saw what happened. And you mentioned 1998. We saw what happened in 1999. 83% of Alaskans said, right. don't touch the PFD, which is, again, I just mentioned to Kevin McCabe last hour, this is why they don't want people to have a vote on it. I mean, anytime it's been said, we need to put this to a vote of the people, you can hear the, the, the sphincter tightening from across the state because these politicians are like, no, 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 no. We know better than you. We don't need to get the people's vote on this because they know you're, you're fo the former senator, Peter Machicki. He said that on my program six years ago when I said, when Gov Senator Dunleavy and Senator Wilikowski wanted to put this to a vote of the people and you absolutely denied it and said, no, why is that? And he said, well, because people would vote with their pocketbook. Well, yes, people always vote with their pocketbook when it comes to a It's the economy, stupid. That's what it's all about. So is it surprising? And should people have a voice in what's going on? Well, of course, people should have a voice in what's going on. And you'd think with the the option of ranked choice voting, that you could put all the ideas for the permanent fund out there. All the, the different positions that the politicians and the big businesses and the big unions and the big government advocates have, go ahead, lay it out there and spend your, your money trying to convince Alaskans that their dividends should be taxed and cut for more government and more special projects and see how people vote. And let them let them use this uh, wonderful new ranked choice system to pick pick the uh, program for the PFD. I I think we all know that, and based on 1999's special election, and you know back then, the big businesses, the big unions, and the big government advocates were all allied, and they spent I don't know if it was a hundred times as much money 
as those of us who were just citizens trying to defend the statutory formula for the PFD. And the vote was 83% against the special interests. Right. So they look at that and they, we never want to let the people vote on this again. So it's a, there is no reason if they're going to change something that worked flawlessly for 35 years, putting it out for an advisory vote or a vote of the people is very sensible, reasonable thing to do. Right. It doesn't need to be something that's manipulated by politicians and special interests. All they want is to take more of your money. It's a, it is a tax on every individual Alaskan. Right. There's a lot I don't agree with, with Brad Keithley, but I do agree that it's a regressive tax to take people's PFD. Well, and it disproportionately affects the lowest 50% income earners in the state. I mean, they are losing upwards of 30% of their annual income, depending on the bracket, of course, the lowest bracket, but up to 30% of their annual income by this taxing and taking of the PFD. It makes, I mean, it's not equitable and it makes no sense whatsoever. Um, and it, I, I try to tell my my fellow Republicans that don't see it this way about the dividend. They see it as free money. It's, it is your share of the royalty that you should have received as an owner of the oil and gas resources in this state. Absolutely. And it is not, it's not free money. It is a small part of your royalty. The royalty is already taxed at 75% to start with. So the 100% of the royalty comes off every year and the state right off the bat taxes you 75%. And then they put 25% into the permanent fund. And then the realized earnings, just half the realized earnings are distributed as a dividend. And now they want to take that also. Right. And it's, it's just, it's in a way, it's just outrageous high taxation on the average well, Alaskan. I've said this for years. I mean, the Alaska, state of Alaska is getting almost all the lucre to begin with, right? 75% of the royalties plus all the corporates and the severance and all the other taxes and fees right. and everything else. 25% goes into the fund and then it spins out the earnings and then they get another bite at the apple for another 50% of it. So we're getting the crumbs on the cake plate and they're like, oh, no, no, we like those crumbs too. We, we've had all the slices <laughs> of cake, but we'd that's, like those crumbs too. And and that's, that's, that's exactly where we're at. Um, I want to get into a discussion on uh, the CONCON, the Fiscal Policy Working Group, and a couple other things, but I am up against the break, so if you'll stick with me, okay. uh, Tuckerman, we'll come back to you here in just a, just a hot second. The Michael Luke Show continues. Tuckerman Babcock is our guest, and we will continue our discussion with him here in just a moment. The Michael Luke Show continues. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Coming up on tomorrow's show, by the way. State Senator Rob Myers will be joining us, and we're going to talk a little bit about a lot. It's it's going to be some good discussions. You're not going to want to miss it. Make sure you set your alarm 7 a.m. tomorrow morning. The Michael Duke Show continues with Tucker Babcock right after these messages. Regularly heard on American radio. Michael Duke Show. We're in the break right now. Tuckerman Babcock continues with us. Our guest. Um, I got to take a couple of these comments just because. Um, I I yeah I mean I I agree with with Hawk on a lot of things, but. Um, this, uh, this whole point, uh, where he just said, um, uh, can Tuckerman 
fish or teach a group of children to clean a moose, though? I think Jesse Bjorkman can. I like Tuckerman, but I'm hoping people vote for Jesse. And I said, what the how? I mean, this is I mean, just because he could teach hunting and fishing, it makes no sense. And uh, he goes on to say, well, you know, uh, Jesse's got a stellar record, uh, you know, getting us the thing. And I don't think Tuckerman went out at the rhinos hard enough on the Republican Party. I mean, chairman of the Republican Party is a nice title, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you uh, you have control of everything because there's a lot of moving parts behind the scenes and there's still a lot of influence. I mean, you mentioned Randy Rudrick before. We know what kind of influence is being wielded inside the party uh, that the chairman may have no control over at that point. Tuckerman? Uh, I'm sorry, Tuckerman, I had you muted. Go ahead. I Sorry, sorry. Uh, Jeremy's a great guy, but he, uh, you know, that's the sort of thing. Yeah, I teach, you know, my opponent uh, teaches kids how to skin a moose, which is a great thing to be doing as a teacher, but that doesn't mean you're going to be a good state senator. It doesn't mean you're conservative. It doesn't mean you don't put Democrats in as mayor. It doesn't mean that you're against the permanent fund dividend. Uh, you know, you're not against the dividend or that you love ranked choice vote, loved ranked choice voting. I mean, it, come on, Jeremy, those are the issues of the day. And as right. far as uh, fishing and, and uh, moose hunting, I've done my share of both, but right. That's not what this election is about. Well, and and uh, and whoops, uh, as Sandy says, uh, Jesse also wanted you to max up and vaccinate. I mean, that was the whole. You know, you, you, again, you got to take this in totality, and and it's it it bothers me when I see that kind of knee jerk reaction um, out there for sure. Um, uh, you know, <laughs> well, Jeremy's a good guy. Uh, no, I mean we agree on a lot of things. I just think that that's crazy talk, is what I think that is personally. Um, you know, the reaction in the peninsula, obviously. I mean, the peninsula is one of the reddest districts in the state. Uh, I think the peninsula and the and the and the Matsu are neck and neck for, you know, who who can out conservative each other. But unfortunately, we end up seeing in some of the local bodies, you know, the 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 assemblies and so on. You know, people seem to get so focused on national stuff and then maybe on state stuff. And then they just seem to forget and give up on all the local city councils and assemblies and things like that. We've seen some of the reddest places in the state have dark blue assemblies, you know, and and, and city councils and stuff. Why aren't people paying closer attention to what's going on? Closer to home. I and mean, we can't affect what happens, for example, in Washington, D.C. We have very little impact on that. We can affect what happens in our community councils, our city councils, our assemblies, our road service areas. We can have an effect on all that, and yet we don't pay attention to it. Well, the part of it is the design of the system so that the elections are held in early October between the primary and the general election. I think what the MATSU has done to, to coordinate their election process with the state elections is a brilliant idea. It saves everybody money. It makes more people involved. It highlights the election of their of the local assembly. And there's no reason that every one of our cities and, and assemblies shouldn't be elect school boards, all elected at the same time, so that people, more people will have a say, more people will be involved in voting, and it'll save all the local governments money because the state's already holding the election. It's a, it seems like a straightforward proposition to me. Yeah, I mean, I and we have we do have some good conservatives running for the assembly. Uh, Dale Yulin is running out in uh, Nikiski and Salamatov uh, against my opponent Jesse Berkman, who's running for every office he qualifies for. At the and same time, also <laughs> Don Boston, who uh, has a Boston Subaru in Soldatna, he is running against uh, Tyson Cox, uh, who is a strong ally of my opponent, 
And uh, Don Boston is a conservative. He's a hard-headed, um, hard-opinionated, but a soft-hearted man and uh, a great reputation in the community. And I think he'll, he'll if he gets elected, he'll be a, a great member of the Borough Assembly. Well, I, again, I think we need to be looking at you know, again, the philosophies more than the labels. We need to be saying, are you a pro-government or are you pro-private sector? Are you pro-PFD or are you anti-PFD? I mean, I think those are the things that we need to be. That's the yardstick we need to be holding up here. I got less than a minute. Oh, it is the yardstick. But the problem, the problem is it's all about trust. And uh, you have very slippery politicians who will say, yes, well, I'm for small this, blah, 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 blah. But you, and their record demonstrates something very different. I mean, my opponent's happy to tell you how conservative he is and how he's really, uh, you know, he's a Republican and he's been X, Y, and Z. But then he gets an opportunity to replace Charlie Pierce. He puts the Democrat leader, Mike Navarre, in as, as mayor and then extends his temporary term for months and months and months. So it is all about trust. And you, it's important to know the, uh, the background and character on issues and when they were put to the test did they stand strong for the values yeah. that they say during a campaign they believe in? Uh, we're talking with Tucker McBabcock. Uh, we're about to get back into it. You just heard the bell. That means like and share, like and follow, subscribe, ring the bell, do all that kind of stuff. Let's get back into it. One final segment of the show this morning. We're going to talk policy. We're going to get into the weeds here a little bit in the next 13 minutes. Let's do it. Continuing now with uh, Tuckerman Babcock, our guest candidate for state senate in District D, which was District O. Uh, which You're going to have to drop those old numbers and districts. I know. <laughs> it's it's like it's crazy. Um, used to be Peter Machicki's district, but he is not running for re-election. So Tuckerman is up uh, in the shoot right now, along with a few other candidates. Um, ironic, uh, ironic, I guess, that... Uh, you know, we got so many seats that are being held or being ran for by multiple Republicans, and yet we saw the Republican Party give out money. Only uh, I don't even want to get into that. I want to get into policy. I don't want to get. In, I don't want to sidestep because I'm going to get mad about that. You want to comment on that? Yo, know, you're just going to okay. We'll avoid that because I that that irritates me. Let's get into policy. So pro PFD. 100% full PFD. Uh, we've talked about the potential for a spending cap. We've talked about everything else. A lot of these things are not going to happen, Tuckerman, unless we actually have constitutional amendments. Because no it's no lunatic who's got the keys to the asylum is going to give those keys away. And that's what we've got right now. They've got the control of everything. And to give up that power would be insane. That's why a constitutional convention makes sense. Um, I'm I'm nervous about it, but at the same time, I believe that it's the only way to get something done because there is no political will to fix what's broken. We need to enshrine the PFD. We need to put a state spending cap in there. We need to change the way that we appoint and retain judges. I mean, there's a handful of things that need to be taken care of here. And the CONCON, in my opinion, is the only way we're going to get it done. What say you? I'm going to vote yes on holding a constitutional convention. And I've been listening to some of the ads from the fear mongers. And then I hear who's paying for it, the IBW union, the NEA union, and some amorphous group that's a collection of special interests that are trying to scare Alaskans yeah. away from considering whether to have a constitutional convention. 
that's up to you to decide whether you think it's we have structural problems that could best be fixed in the Constitutional Convention. I'm convinced that we do, but that's up to each individual person to make that decision. You are right that some of these issues are only going to be solved through a constitutional process. Now, you can either depend on the legislature to do it through getting 14 of 20 senators and 27 of 40 House members, or you can take the, the approach that the founders of the Constitution, the people who wrote the Constitution, put in the Constitution, which is every 10 years, Alaskans get to decide whether we should have another constitutional convention to fix structural problems that have come up. The people who wrote the Constitution trusted the people of Alaska. I see no reason not to trust the people of Alaska to consider a constitutional right. convention and consider reforms in, in that process. Well, we've seen the anti-group come up and say, you know, the sky is falling, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria kind of thing. And yet we've seen places like, I think it was Vermont or New Hampshire, you know, upwards of, they've changed their Constitution upwards of 200 times uh, since they got started. I mean, it, this is not the end of the world. It can be fixed and we should be pushing for it for all of those reasons. I mean, we need to get the, we need to take the PFD off the table. It's sucking up all the oxygen in the room and it's causing the government not to face the fact that they're not living within their means. Now, if that means that if we enshrine the constant, we enshrine the PFD and all of a sudden the government says, well, well, now we're going to have to have taxes. Well, guess what? You've had taxes. It just hasn't affected everyone equally. So guess what? Now you're either going to have to push those taxes or you're going to have to bring government spending back within its means. It's the only way to do it, to starve the beast. That's the only way you're going to be able to get this done because otherwise they're going to continue to just take and take and take. And one day the PFD will be gone and then they'll say, well, we got to have taxes because now we've sucked up all the money. that's We've hoovered everything up and this is it. I don't disagree with the thing you just said. Okay. I mean, I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad to be right every now and then. Um, <laughs> we, we just we talked with Kevin here in the last, Kevin McCabe in the last segment, and he talked about the Fiscal Policy Working Group. They did a bunch of work last summer, and this was a group that was diverse. I mean, the most liberal and the most conservative people came together at a table. They kumbaya they held hands, they chanted, they did the whole thing. They figured out exactly what could be the problems and how they had to be fixed, but they all agreed in the end that here's a holistic approach, here's a plan, here's several different versions of the plan, but the number one thing is we can't take anything in isolation, it all has to be done, and that plan was subsequently thrown into the bottom of a drawer and kicked closed, and they said, thank you for your service and have a nice day. Is this something that we should be using to move the state forward? I mean, we all came together and agreed, right? All these separate entities came together and said, this is what needs to happen. What do you say about the fiscal policy working group plans? I think that's a perfect example of why people should consider voting yes on a constitutional convention. That, it, that was the best the legislative process could do. It, just as you said, all the different factions, all the different philosophies coming together, working through the compromise, everybody sacrificed on the, the liberals and the conservatives, and they came up with a plan to put Alaska on a stable fiscal uh, foundation. Didn't even didn't even come up for a vote. Wouldn't even, the special interest wouldn't even allow it. Wasn't even discussed. Of, uh, wasn't even discussed. It was mentioned no. in the final days on the floor one time. Wasn't even discussed in committees. So that's a perfect example of why people should seriously consider voting yes on a constitutional convention. It is the apparently the only avenue we've really got to fix these structural problems. The legislature is incapable 
of putting that kind of sacrificial plan forward. And if we don't have the, and the people are the ones, legislators aren't going to be delegates to the Constitutional Convention, the people are going to be delegates. And when people go to something as significant as a Constitutional Convention, there's just as you, ra- you, you rise above the normal everyday tugs and pulls of special entry, your own special interests, your own opinions, you have an obligation to think long-term, to think about the good of society, the good of Alaska, how to protect individual Alaskans, how to do the best that you can do for the people. And a constitutional convention brings that out in people. I, I, there, occasionally there's a runaway constitutional convention. We just saw one in Chile where the left wing and the woke mob took over the presentation and they put forward a constitutional convention that was bizarre and the a utopian socialist dream. And the people said, oh no, no, 62%, throw that one out, start over. And that's the fall safe, folks. There's no reason to be afraid of the people putting a constitutional convention together and putting a, a proposal forward. You have the final say, yes or no. Uh, Tuckerman Babcock is our guest. Uh, Tuckerman, you know, size and scope of state government, you said you're full of four full PFD. You're for the work, fiscal policy working group plan, um, you know, but we're looking at a government that's just grown and grown and grown. You were obviously part of Dunleavy's team when he put out the 2018-2019 budget, um, which, of course, was a apocalyptic. I mean, those are the words that we heard, you know, fire raining from the sky and archangels of death cruising the streets for old people. Um, But I mean, literally, when that was all said and done, the budget actually increased by $80 million that year instead of having any kind of cuts to it. But we need to make some we need to make some cuts to the size and scope of government. I mean, when it's all we can't continue the direction that we're going as in your first uh, session as, as as a senator. You know, what will you be looking at here? Well, in every committee, on every amendment, in every bill, it's going to be, I'm going to be driven by two things. One is, does this increase freedom for individuals to make decisions about their own lives? And does this reduce the size and scope and spend of government? And if it doesn't, uh, my, my position is going to be against it. And it's we've got to elect more people who are willing to take those strong positions that we can't afford what we have. We're, we're taxing and cutting your PFD just to try to fill the holes. We're wiping out our savings, which we did for 10 years, billions and billions of dollars. At any given moment, we add all kinds of bells and whistles to programs that then have to be funded in, in virtual perpetuity. There are a lot of serious problems in the state. And if we didn't have oil and gas as an industry to finance our state government, and we were like Rhode Island and we had to do it through taxes, direct taxes, we only, how much do we earn in Alaska? All Alaskans earn outside the oil, assuming the oil and gas industry wasn't here, right? Didn't affect our, our economy if we weren't, if it weren't here. We would have to have the highest income tax in the United States of America to try to fund this government. Yeah, on top of the federal t- tax, and it's it's so outrageous that it's uh, almost beyond beyond any scope of any state. Right. And if it's time that Alaskans really thought about who they could trust to hold the line for freedom and hold the line for a reasonable spend, and that means never more than you have coming in. And if you want to spend more than you have coming in, you don't get to tax the PFD. You get to go straight. You can you can t- try to tax the PFD, 
and that's a regressive tax. And that, but that's what it is. You cut the PFD. That is a tax on right. your royalty income. Absolutely. And and uh, I'm going to be quite an advocate for continuing to explain what that permanent fund dividend is, what it represents, and how it's your royalty. Yeah, no, I've advocated for years that we should get all the uh, all the royalties should go to the people, and then they should be taxed back. And you'd see exactly. Absolutely, there's you'd no see, reason that you, we don't we should do that. You'd you, see exactly you have that on every permanent fund dividend check. This yeah. is what your royalty would have been. We already took this much from you exactly, this exactly. Year. Uh, last uh, forty seconds here, Tuckerman Babcock, our guest. Uh, Tuckerman, uh, final thoughts here as we let you go. We've got about thirty seconds. All right, folks, it's TuckermanBabcock.com. I would really appreciate it if you would follow me on Facebook. Uh, my phone number is 907-394-4910. Uh, happy to talk to anyone and happy to respond, happy to come meet with people. Just give me a call. And this is an exciting campaign. We're looking yep. forward to victory. Thank you very much, Michael. Folks, we're out of time. Tomorrow, Rob Myers will be joining us. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. All right, Tuckerman, I give you the last couple minutes here as we go through. I mean, again, I've always said that all that money that flows to the state should flow to the people. You know, everybody would get a $25,000 check, and then the next week we should all get a bill, and it would be, you know, whatever it is, dollars $19,000 per person. And uh, so you get a bit, you know, family of four, man, you get a check for 100000 bucks. A week later, you get a bill for 85000 And you're like, what the actual hell is going on? The spending in this state would come to a screeching halt. But- you know, Michael, when I worked in the in Governor Hickel's administration, I lobbied hard for us to, for him to make that change on the permanent fund dividend check that said exactly that. And just to show what you'd get from the royalty and then all the money that was taken out. And then you get this little dribble of a dividend at the end. And that would have more impact on two things, encouraging resource development, because people would realize that their dividend depends on a strong oil and gas and mineral in industry. Right. And secondly, it would put pressure on keeping government spending reasonable beyond anything any, any, any of us could do. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. I mean, it would, again, screeching halt. People would be, there would be torches and pitchforks in the street at some point. But uh, again, because we don't see it, because it's a stealth tax, because the money never passes through our hands, we're like, oh, yeah, that program sounds great. Oh, yeah, that project sounds great. Oh, that, oh, sure, it's other people's money. I don't care. I don't see it. It doesn't matter. Oh, it's free money. Don't worry about it. But it's not free money. That is the money, we, instead of being taxed, as you said, if we did not have that revenue from oil and gas, we would be the highest taxed people in the country. And yet Absolutely. nobody acknowledges it. Well, we just couldn't possibly cut a single thing. You know, when when the first that first royalty payment showed up, 900 plus million dollars, almost a billion dollars, the state budget at that time was $162 million for the entire state. This is in 1969, 1970, 71, 162 million dollars. And if you extrapolated that out for population growth and inflation, we should have a state government of somewhere around 2.1, 2.2, 2.3 billion dollars. Instead, what was it this year? Seven billion dollars. We're spending almost three times, two and a half times what we but we couldn't possibly cut. I'm sorry. I, I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you have the final word here for the last couple minutes here. Uh, it's, well, it's, think, it's insane. It's insane. <laughs> We're going to end this very positively. I would like to thank my wife Christy, who is 
been by my side to this whole enterprise. And without her support and her, she handles all the APOC regulations and filings. She organizes events. She even donated her birthday to a fundraiser for me. And uh, she is just a wonderful partner and helpmate. And I, I just, I'm so blessed to be married to her. And listen, folks, when, when I say this election is all about trust, I have 15 grandchildren and I'm never going to do anything to make them ashamed of their baba. And that's why I'm running. I don't intend to stay in the Senate for a lifetime. <laughs> Some do. This is just public service for a limited period of time. And then someone else can step forward. Maybe that person will be you. Not you, Michael. You're out in Big Lake, but no, I'm, you. I'm, yeah, you're on the Kenai Peninsula. On the Kenai, I've already done my. I've done done my time uh, on that. I've already. <laughs> I got paroled early, so I'm I'm happy to do it. But, you know, yeah, Tuckerman, I I I hope that uh, I hope that uh, Peninsula folks can see through the smokescreen of uh, all the elephants on the lapels and figure out who the real, true small government folks are out there. Uh, because we need it. We, we've got to pull this state back from the brink. Otherwise, we're going to be in big trouble. Well, and our local party's done their part. The Nikiski Sterling Republicans, District 8, have endorsed me. The Kenai Soldatna Republicans, District 7, have endorsed me. The Republican Women of the Kenai, the Kenai Peninsula Republican Women, even the state Republican Party. And so it's the Republicans have tried to make it clear that, that I'm the endorsed Republican. But, you know, that's for uh, And that's very encouraging. And I thank them all for that. And I hope to make it very clear to, to folks exactly who the uh, conservative and who the Republican, living the Republican philosophy really is. Doesn't help when we have censured candidates out there receiving money from the party and everything else. I mean, they're... Oh, we here, get, here we had ended on such a positive note. I know, <laughs> I know. We, we got to get some stuff squared away. We got to get some stuff cleaned up in this state. But positivity. Thank you to Christy for letting you come on this morning. <laughs> Thank you for all her help. And appreciate you coming on on short notice again, filling in for Mike Shower. I appreciate that. Thank you, Tuckerman. And uh, we will try and talk to you maybe in another couple, three weeks. We're only eight weeks away. So we'll see if we That's can right. get you back on between now and then. Okay. All right. God bless. Thanks so much, folks. We are out of time. We got uh, more coming up uh, tomorrow with Rob Myers, who's going to be joining us in hour two. Working on another guest for hour one. We'll see if we can fill it up. We're going to try and fill it up every day from now until Election Day. If you haven't liked and shared the show, please do so. If you haven't subscribed on YouTube, please do so, man. I need you to... I need you to go over there right now. On your way out the door, just click over on the link that I just dropped uh, there in the chat rooms and uh, go over to YouTube and hit subscribe and ring the bell. We're going to try and fill it up. That's what we're going to try and do uh, with nothing but candidates from now until Election Day. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Be kind to one another. Love one another. Live well.
We've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show.